Good day. You are listening to the 95th edition of Free City Radio. Thanks for being with us. Uh, today on the program, uh, we are going to be featuring a conversation with Rebecca Sinclair, who is a policy analyst at Indigenous Climate Action. I spoke to Rebecca in Winnipeg, Treaty 1 territory. This is part of an interview series that I'm working on in collaboration with The Breach. Um, it is an attempt to try to hear from different activist voices across the territories known as Canada to hear about what activists are working on, what they are organizing in the context of the Canadian political landscape in 2022. Um, what are the possibilities in the context of a weakened Liberal government, a minority parliament, and the upswing in organizing an action around uh, climate justice campaigns, around uh, the support of Indigenous-led struggles for emancipation and land back, but also the challenges that are faced in this contemporary moment. Um, what are the possibilities for coalition? What are the possibilities for movement building around questions like institutionality and organizing, um, autonomous action? These are all sort of points that we're discussing um, I spoke with Rebecca about uh, Indigenous action and intervention around the distance between uh, Canada's rhetoric uh, regarding uh, climate change and regarding the environment versus the reality. Um, and also the distance between the rhetoric of the Canadian state in regards to um, their uh, talk of reconciliation and lack of action, the pushing forward of uh, pipelines on Indigenous lands such as the Coastal Gaslink Pipeline on Wet'suwet'en land, also the Trans Mountain Pipeline on Sequoquemec land. There's many huge initiatives uh, that are bolstering the oil and gas industry, corporate oil and gas industry, that are taking place without the collective support of the Indigenous communities impacted. This is huge. This is a huge distance between the image that the Liberal government is trying to project and the reality on the ground. So this is part of a series that I'm working on. Uh, we'll publish a piece with these interviews through the breach uh, in March, but I wanted to share the full-length interviews here on Free City Radio, uh, my podcast. Um, so here's my conversation with Rebecca Sinclair, who's a policy analyst at Indigenous Climate Action in Winnipeg, Treaty 1 territory. Yeah, so as Indigenous folks, we need to really, we have to, <laughs> we've had to um, really celebrate the smaller victories. Dismantling this colonial patriarchy is not going to happen in my lifetime, Um and it's, it's likely not going to happen in my children's lifetime. This, this system of oppression has been built over hundreds of years, and it's not going to be dismantled in 10 years. Um, so when we do movements like I Don't Know More, when we bring in, you know, Murder and Missing Indigenous Women as a movement, we bring the general public into things that they're not um, they're not privy to into their education system because of that oppression. I think like when we do movements like this, it's really important to um, have a tangible message, um, something that general public can understand and swallow. Um, 
it's super important that we're aligning ourselves with, with a message, right? So like with I Don't Know More, with Murder Missing Indigenous Women and Girls, there was a clear messaging there. And when we rally in these, these smaller actions, they're really meant to bring in the public, to bring the public into this discourse of what's happening within indig- with Indigenous folks. And, and I, f- I find it funny because when we talk about like actions and movements and activism, it it's labeled Indigenous folks as kind of like ruffling feathers or whatever, right? And I think that what, what the general public is, I think, missing, especially with like other movements that are not, you know, maybe socially justice related, um, is that this is for everyday life. This is, this is our life. And we're not fighting for, um, you know, to have cereal on shelves. We're fighting for our lives, and our planet. And I think like that is a benefit to non-Indigenous Canadians as well, or non-Indigenous people as well, right? And, um, for many Indigenous folks in these movement spaces, it's not protesting, it's not activism, it's an inherent duty. And we're trying to get the, the general public to see that and to recognize the shortcomings of this patriarchal system that we have going on, right? Um, yeah, I, don't know. I think like when we align ourselves with uh, political allies that have enough power and that are willing to take bold steps and actions necessary for change, that is that's what we're looking for too. And we can make small small victories like that. I think a good example of of um, this action movement um, and celebrating those small victories comes from the UNFCCC's Conference of Parties when we were in Scotland, right? Like this is a great example of like these small little actions that are happening Well, they're not small or thousands of people are joining them, but <clears throat> we have these targeted actions that are done within these spaces. And, you know, in the long run, Indigenous people were highly represented in, in Scotland for the first time. That's a victory. There was a traditional knowledge gathering that happened within that UNFCCC space. That's a victory. And this is at the head of other Indigenous folks that have been in these spaces for 20 plus years that have been fighting and, and you know, fighting to be recognized, fighting to have a seat, fighting to have a voice. And I think like those, those things need to be celebrated, though they're still like, they're still um, like it's, there's a duality to it, right? Um, the duality that we see is we celebrate those small victories, even though they feel like breadcrumbs. So we know that there's a ton of work that's ahead of us still. So I think that's just our reality. So a lot of, a lot of people that I talk to about this are like, well, why would you do this? And I'm like, because I don't have any other option. Like, why do you breathe? (laughs) Um, why do you eat food? Because uh, that's that's what it takes to survive and live. And um, and for for myself, it it is it is a duty and a responsibility that I have. And it's not it's not like I you know turn off my laptop at the end of the day and work is done and and uh, the action is like dissipated and people go home and they go to bed and they think about like what they're going to have for breakfast the next day. Like, this is my life. This is the life of my children. And I think that's, that's, I, I hope that's the messaging that gets across to 
um, you know, folks that are that aren't actively a part of this movement. So I think it could be really meaningful to hear some reflections on this moment because we live in this time where discourse has changed uh, at the sort of pinnacle of liberal power. We see, you know, Mark Miller talking about land back. Um, I mean, Ellen Gabriel, I spoke with her a few months ago and she was saying, I don't want to hear that term anymore. I want to hear about action. So, you know, Ellen was saying reconciliation, please, not reconciliation. Um, but this weird, like, divergent reality where you have, like, discourse on one hand that has changed, but the actual actions of power have not <laughs> in terms of, like, concrete policy physical, you know, projects that are ongoing, coastal gas link or Trans Mountain Pipeline. I mean, many, many other initiatives of the oil and gas industry that are being built on Indigenous land without the collective support of the nations that are being affected. So all this to say, like, how do we grapple with this moment where people are saying one thing and, you know, acting like or enacting policy that's totally different from the discourse. Right. Um, I think like ensuring that we're holding our political leaders accountable for what they're actually saying is really important. And, you know, this, this isn't new for indigenous folks when we hear words of comfort and the action is the exact opposite. That's historically what has happened. And it wasn't going to be new with this new talk of like reconciliation and, what what the movement like the TRC had done was put a face and a humanistic approach to what had had has happened. Murder and missing Indigenous women, Idle More is putting a face to like the people behind what is happening. And I think like like we're always going to have like the new trending word and decolonization, reconciliation. These things are a part of our inherent everyday life. Um, and it may be like the new buzzword that gets people elected or whatever, but like at the end of the day, like it's my belief that we're holding those people accountable through these movements, through these actions. At COP, at the Indigenous People's Caucus, which isn't very far from the um, Canadian pavilion, well, it wasn't a pavilion, but like a room, in which where Trudeau was uh, talking for the better part of his time at COP. And it was like 10 steps away from the Indigenous Peoples Pavilion. Um, and I thought like, you haven't been to the IP caucus once, you haven't been over to like say hello to let Indigenous folks within your constituency know that they're important in this climate change talk as you have stated. And I think like that that showed me as like an indigenous woman, as a Canadian citizen, um, that the importance or the level of importance he puts behind the words that he's saying. So I I stood outside of his uh, of the door and I talked to a few of his staff members and I was like, what's going on here? And really demanded why he wasn't at the IP caucus. And then like or the pavilion, sorry, I keep calling it the caucus. It's not the caucus, it's the pavilion, which was 10 steps away. 
And then after I staged a little coup out there um, and gave up and then went back to the the pavilion, he showed up like 20 minutes later. Right. And I think like that's a really good example of how we're we're holding our political leaders accountable and that we can't just hold our, our political leaders accountable as one person. It needs to be infiltrated through movements. It needs to be infiltrated through those policy meetings. And we need to make sure that we're holding them accountable for that. And I think like in these spaces, if you don't have a real clear messaging that others can buy into, that's, that's important, that affects um, not only the minority, but the majority, how are we going to like hold them accountable to that, right? In terms of Indigenous climate action, and like, you know, you're supporting, you know, various essential campaigns of indigenous communities against extractivism policies that are um, carrying forward despite this rhetoric of the, the, the liberal government. So the liberal government has a minority, whatever, um, has a minority in parliament so that there's some sort of like political precarity in terms of like the seat balance and historically some social movements have been able to get through legislation in these moments, um, like um, some healthcare, uh, public healthcare reforms. Um, under the conditions of the pandemic, there was extension to CERB in that minority context. So is there any any thoughts or sort of reflections you might have about points of campaigning that could be important to push in this, in this context, uh, in terms of, you know, the ways that like holding the rhetoric to account, both in regards to the NDP and the liberals. Like right now, a lot of the talk, like if we're talking like climate justice movement, a lot of the um, climate policy plans that are put into place have a lot of the rhetoric about traditional knowledge is important to climate change and we need to see that policy put in place. However, when we say traditional knowledge, it's still not at the like the respect and the integrity of Western science. So we have like these words coming out people's mouths that are saying like, this is important and we're seeing it actionized in policy. Um, but not in a meaningful way and without the people that are actually, they're actually talking about, right? I think like when, like that, that is the leverage that we need to be using. That's the rhetoric that we need to be like pushing forward to. Um, if we want to say that traditional knowledge uh, or you recognize that traditional knowledge is, is important to this climate, um, climate crisis that we're in and combating that through policy, then we're going to hold you account to that, to those words. And part of that is um, like how we've gone through the decolonizing climate policy document in phase one and through phase two. I think like, as <laughs> it's kind of like a tough question because uh, we're like a, a loaded question too, because we, we're still playing in their sandbox is what I've heard several times from different elders and traditional knowledge holders. It's like, you've invited us to your sandbox with your rules and told us we're important, but not important enough for you to actually make us feel safe or give us any toys. 
Um, I think like that analogy is really important to, to differentiate uh, like how the climate policy plans are being put into place in Canada right now. And part of the rhetoric that's happening with NDP and with um, like, I also should like mention that, that a lot of these plans, a lot of the effort put forward by any political party is really weighted on those economics of the things, right? Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's the sexiness of the economics and, and that's how a lot of our actions and how a lot of our organizing kinds of kind of things get um, diminished because they're talking about like, Oh, well, they don't want jobs and they don't want to like, you know, support the economy. And, but that's not, not what we're saying at all. (laughs) um mm-hmm. it's just uh i don't know sorry i'm like well it's like it's like the whole like all over the place here <laughs> not at all i mean but the the framework is completely different i think that's what you know it's like a square in a circle it's like two totally different political realities yeah yeah like when i reflect back on like the work that we do and the efforts that we're making and um I, I have to like center myself around my teams and center myself around what the goal is. And the goal is never to, for me, mm-hmm. <laughs> for me, my single self, mm-hmm. the goal is never to like dismantle all of Canadian politics. Right. And I don't think that's anyone's individual goal. It's, it's to like, I bring it back to this, like inherent duty, this responsibility to the land it's never going to matter who's in the seat, whether it's conservative NDP or liberal or whoever's making those decisions, it's never going to matter because it's still a patriarchal system. It's still a system built on oppression and we're not making any changes to that system. We're asking, we're asking for them to acknowledge something and then go through the system of, you know, like it, it's, um, there's a duality to it, right? Mm-hmm. There are small changes that we can make we can have more and more people accepting um, whose land and territory you are on. That has become a, a, an embedded part of uh, most organizations in Canada now. And like that is a small, small victory because that doesn't mean land back. That just means acknowledgement. Um, we see that happen in uh, like through the TRC, through the calls to action, through reconciliation. These are words that are coming into our our youth's minds who are going to be the leaders of those change, right? And I think like that's the important thing that that aspect is the important part, how we navigate the education of our youth and how they're going to be the leaders of change. Like I said, it's not going to happen in my life. (laughs) Not much I can do other than make a lot of noise and ensure that people are educated to the best of their abilities. I think it comes onto those tenants of free prior and informed consent right like are you being informed that's relevant to you so that you can make a conscious decision um and say no and that that goes for our political system as well and goes for everyday citizens as well right like our that's that's a tenant that everybody should hold if you're making consent to something do you have free prior and informed consent respect respect. thanks for your time today yeah That was a conversation with Rebecca Sinclair, policy analyst at Indigenous Climate Action, 
uh, I spoke to Rebecca in Winnipeg, Treaty 1 territory. Um, Indigenous Climate Action is an important uh, organization that's come together to support uh, and to lead in the public-facing political and media landscape around Indigenous struggles for the land and climate justice. Uh, Rebecca has been an important voice in this context uh, as a policy analyst and also as an activist. Um, This interview is shared as part of a series that I've worked on in collaboration with The Breach. And you can find uh, the entire series uh, that will be shared within the next months at uh, Free City Radio. Our archives are at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. And I'm Stefan Christoph in Montreal. We broadcast a new episode every week on CKUT Community Radio at 90.3 FM in Montreal at 11 a.m. on Wednesdays. And we share two podcasts every week through our channel. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify. Thank you so much to Rebecca Sinclair from Indigenous Climate Action for being on the program today uh, from Winnipeg, Treaty 1 Territory. And to finish the broadcast today, I will feature a piece of music by Samantha Crane, uh, who is an Indigenous singer-songwriter who was featured on a uh, recent interview series that we worked on uh, in collaboration with Radio Hara in Palestine. And uh, this piece is on rights to water and rights to life and rights to dignity. Here is Samantha Crane. I'll talk to you soon and take care.